invite you to turn with me to our scripture and the text for this Lord's Day found in Matthew chapter 5. Verses 38 through 42, as we continue in our series of Christ's Sermon on the Mount. You have heard that it hath been said, an eye for an eye, and a tooth for a tooth. But I say unto you, that ye resist not evil. But whosoever shall smite thee on the right cheek, turn to him the other also. And if any man will sue thee at the law and take away thy coat, let him have thy cloak also. And whosoever shall compel thee to go a mile, go with him twain. Give to him that asketh thee, and from him that would borrow of thee, turn not thou away. There's not a sinful passion that can bring about such great destruction in such a small amount of time as a desire to get even with somebody, to render evil for evil to the one who has offended you. Revenge may be manifested inwardly or outwardly. It may silently churn within you in anger and hatred. It may be whispered under your breath or it may take a more violent approach in which, again, it results in what we see happening around us all the time. Riots. Revenge, murders, revenge, burning of businesses, revenge. There was personal vengeance is always sinful, always sinful, because it is motivated by selfish pride and anger, sinful anger and hatred to repay the wrong committed against you. Whenever we are personally offended and there wells up within us a fire to get even with someone for an offense committed against us, we have fallen into that grievous sin of personal vengeance by way of perhaps an angry response. We snap at somebody because we didn't like what they said to us. And so we snap back at them and give them a dose of what they gave to us. Or we strike out at the offender with our hands, with some object. Are we get on the horn and we just pound on the horn and keep the horn going in our car because somebody cut in front of us and they may be 
a distance yet ahead of us, but we're still on the horn, honking the horn. Or we may show revenge by simply refusing to do a duty that we ought to do, or doing it poorly, because we didn't like the way that someone spoke to us. So we're going to show them by doing what we do less than complete, not with our whole heart. And so this will, again, be a means that we show revenge. Or just simply nursing a grudge within our hearts. Continuing to nurse that grudge. It's revenge. Jesus has something to say about vengeance in our text today. And I believe his words reveal... Not only the pride and the sin in the Pharisees, but the pride and the sin in our own hearts. We're all guilty. We all stand before God guilty of having personal vengeance and revenge. Rendering evil for evil. Snapping. Showing in various ways and even if not outwardly, inwardly, revenge. So this passage is very much for us all today. The main points from our text are these. First of all, the Pharisees' perverted interpretation of God's law in the matter of revenge. In Matthew 5.38. And then, secondly... Christ's faithful interpretation of God's law in the matter of revenge in verses 39 through 42. So let us consider our first main point, the Pharisees' perverted interpretation of God's law in the matter of vengeance. Verse 38. They have heard that it hath been said, an eye for an eye, and a tooth for a tooth. Here in this section, Jesus continues to reveal the hypocrisy of the Pharisees and their pretended claim to be righteous, to uphold righteousness, the righteousness of God's law. In truth, they were not actually judging themselves by the standard of God's holy law. They are rather judging themselves by a misinterpretation of God's law. So they were, in effect, judging themselves by their own standard, not by God's standard. Because if we misinterpret God's law, if we make God's law say what we want it to say and live according to that we're not living a righteous life. We're living according to our own standard, not according to God's standard. And that's what the Pharisees were doing. And therefore, because they were not living according to God's standard, his moral law, their sin was not being revealed. In other words, they would not see what the actual law of God was saying to them. They were blinded to the truth of how much they needed the righteousness of Jesus Christ 
And that's what we will do too. We're not doing ourselves any favors, dear ones, when we do not interpret the law of God as God intended it. All of his commandments. We are hurting ourselves. We are damaging ourselves. Because then we simply go forth and practice a kind of self-righteousness, which is not, again, a righteousness that comes from God. We are, in effect, judging ourselves. Jesus had previously made known, you'll recall, to the Pharisees that they had moved the goalposts by changing the standard and misinterpreting God's law. For Jesus revealed when they said that they did not kill, uh, that they kept God's law, the sixth commandment, thou shalt not kill, Jesus pointed out, no, you're tongue murderers. You're heart murderers. You hate, have hatred in your heart. You, you use all manner of names that you call people because you despise them. He points out to them when they said that they had not committed adultery. He points out that you're eye adulterers. You commit adultery with your eyes. Your heart adulteries. You commit adultery within your heart, within your mind. When they said that they had not broken God's commandment with regard to swearing oaths, it's only because they had made up so many oaths that they didn't believe they had to keep because they could use whatever ever form of an oath that they wanted to use and that did not bind them. But if they used God's name explicitly, that bound them. Or if they used certain parts of the temple, that bound them. But other parts of the temple, that did not bind them. So God points out here to them, Jesus points out, you're covenant breakers as well. And now he comes to the matter of vengeance. And he, Jesus, once again, will point out to them, you've misinterpreted God's law so that you can exercise vengeance, so that you can show your revenge against those who offend you. And once again, they accuse themselves in so doing of being those who are unrighteous. You see, that's why so many people think they're going to heaven today. You go up and ask the people you know, on the street or on a campus or people you work with, and you say, you think you're going to heaven? Well, if they believe in a heaven, they probably say yes. They probably say yes. Why? Because, like the Pharisees, they've changed the standards so that they can keep the standards that they have themselves have set. Not God's standards, their own standards. They think they're good by their own standards. But dear ones, again, we're not judged by our standards. We're judged by God's holy standard. That is his law. 
Without Jesus, dear ones, there is no hope for any of us because it is only his righteousness and his righteousness alone that can rescue and save us. Well, Jesus in this section begins with that familiar expression of the oral tradition of the elders when he says, Ye have heard that it hath been said. Now, once again, as we've noted in, in earlier sermons, it's not so much what is stated that is wrong in itself, but it is what is omitted that is wrong. What did the Pharisees omit from what Jesus states in Matthew 5.38? Matthew 5.38, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. The Old Testament teaches that, as we'll see in a moment. What had they omitted from the context of that particular law of just retribution? An eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. For that's what that law is teaching. There, there must be just and equal retribution. Proportionate retribution. The punishment that is given must be proportionate to the crime that has been committed. Not the punishment greater than the crime committed, not a punishment that is less than the crime committed, but an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. Well, the Pharisees took what Jesus, or what God said in the Old Testament, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth, and they applied that in a personal way. That they could personally, individually, use that law of just retribution against another person who offended them. If somebody offended them, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth, I can go after them. If they, if they, if they did me wrong, I can do them wrong right back. That was the interpretation of the Pharisees. But that expression is used three times in the Old Testament. An eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. It's used, and I'll give you the three times that it's mentioned, and we'll look at one of those. First of all, it's men mentioned in Exodus chapter 21, verses 22 through 25. Second, it's mentioned in Leviticus 24, verses 19 through 20. And thirdly, it's mentioned in Deuteronomy chapter 19, verses 16 through 21. Let's look at the first one there. Exodus 21, verses 22 through 25. And let me read that for you. If men strive and hurt a woman with child so that her fruit depart from her 
and yet no mischief follow, he shall be surely punished according as the woman's husband will lay upon him, and he shall pay as the judges determine. And if any mischief follow, then thou shalt give life for life, eye for eye, tooth for tooth, hand for hand, foot for foot, burning for burning, wound for wound, stripe for stripe. So here, in the law of God, is a, a pregnant woman, and men are fighting. And they don't notice the woman with child that is near them, and one of them injures or hurts the woman so that the baby within her womb is born. Now, it doesn't say that merely because there was something done to the child or to the mother, but the fact that there was a premature birth and the baby comes forth at that time, then there is to be from the husband of the, of the wife some compensation, even though neither the wife was, was, was uh, uh, injured, uh, by way of some lasting injury, nor the baby was injured. But yet there is to be compensation, even if no lasting injury occurred. But if there was injury that occurred, either to the mother or to the child, then life for life, eye for eye, tooth for tooth, that particular law goes into and before the judges at that point. And notice it says, and he shall pay as the judges determine. This is not personal vengeance that is brought against the offender. This is in a civil court, that it goes before the civil court. The husband brings his case before the civil court and presents whether there was injury done. And so this is not a, 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 an occasion for retribution, personal vengeance or retribution. This is brought before the court so that there is civil, judicial retribution that is rendered. And so likewise, you'll find in the other cases that I mentioned in Leviticus and in Deuteronomy. You see, that was God's good law to guard against either excessive or lenient civil punishment for a crime that was committed. However, the Pharisees granted a so-called right for individuals to return evil for evil to repay those who injured or slandered them. And so that was, the, that was the misinterpretation of the Pharisees uh, for them to be able to uh, uh, use that law in a way that was according to their standards, not according to God's standard. 
They, in fact, sinfully ignored that God always, even in the Old Testament scriptures, that God always forbade personal revenge. Not, not by some general broad language, but explicitly forbade personal revenge. In Leviticus 19.18, we read, Thou shalt not avenge thou, meaning you in the singular, thou shalt not avenge, nor bear any grudge against the children of thy people, but thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. I am the Lord. And lest we think that, again, this only applies to believers, that uh, we're, we cannot avenge ourselves against believers, but we can avenge ourselves against unbelievers, remember that the Lord defines for us in the parable of the Good Samaritan who is our neighbor. Our neighbor is not simply the one who is a believer. The one is, the neighbor is whoever we have contact with is our neighbor that we are, again, to do good unto. In the Tenth Commandment, where it says, God forbids, and, and the commandment reads, Thou shalt not covet thy neighbor's house. Thou shalt not covet thy neighbor's wife. Now, does that commandment mean that we're, not, we're only commanded not to covet the house and the wife of believers, but we can covet the house and the wife of unbelievers? We see again that the Bible does not allow such an interpretation. And so likewise, when it says that we are not to avenge ourselves against our neighbor, it does not mean only against believers, but also against unbelievers. In Proverbs chapter 20, I'm just going to read an, a number of passages here for you. And uh, you can write them down and go back to them uh, as you have time. Proverbs 20, verse 22. Say not thou, I will recompense evil, but wait on the Lord, and he shall save thee. Don't say, I'm going to, to repay. I'm going to repent, uh, recompense the evil that was brought against me. But thou shalt uh, rather look to the Lord. Wait on the Lord, and he shall save thee. Proverbs 24, verse 29 says, Say not, I will do so to him as he hath done to me, I will render to the man according to his work. Don't say that. Not only don't say it, don't do it. If we're not to say it, then we're certainly not to do it. In the New Testament, Romans chapter 12, verses 17 through 21. Recompense to no man evil for evil. Provide things honest in the sight of all men. If it be possible, as much as lieth in you, live peaceably with all men. 
Dearly beloved, avenge not yourselves, but rather give place unto wrath. For it is written, vengeance is mine, I will repay, saith the Lord. See, God's the judge, not us. We leave vengeance. Personal vengeance we, we forgo. Vengeance is mine, saith the Lord. Therefore, Paul continues, Therefore, if thine enemy hunger, feed him. If he thirst, give him drink. For in so doing, thou shalt heap coals of fire on his head. Be not overcome of evil, but overcome evil with good. 1 Thessalonians 5.15 See that none render evil for evil unto any man, but ever follow that which is good, both among yourselves and to all men. Then one last one, 1 Peter 3, verses 8 through 9. Finally, be ye all of one mind, having compassion one of another, love as brethren, be pitiful, be courteous, not rendering evil for evil or railing for railing, but contrary wise blessing, knowing that ye are thereunto called that ye should inherit a blessing. You see, rather than forbidding personal vengeance, as we have seen the, the, both the Old Testament and the New Testament teach, the Pharisees used God's law to promote personal vengeance. They made a place for it, that one could do so, and yet be righteous before God in doing so. I th- submit to you that this really reveals how sinful our hearts are. Because what the Pharisees were doing is simply what we're taught, I think, apart from the teaching of Christ, is what we're taught in the world, is it not? Somebody comes up and hits you in the face, you can just hit them right back. Someone slanders you, you can slander them back. We can repay what someone else does to us. Now we're going to talk about self-defense But we're talking here about retaliation, simply repaying what somebody has done to us and that spirit that comes from within. I'll get you. You're not going to get away with this. I'll get you back. That type of an attitude is, is simply born within us it's a part of our sinful nature, but it's taught us in, in, in the culture in which we live as well. We see it in movies. It's, it's that type of person that we tend to, or they want you to look up to. That person is not going to take any guff, but it's going to hammer the guy. They look cross-eyed at them. You know, that's, that's the type of person that is portrayed in movies and films that has, that has the very sharp mouth and when somebody says something to that woman on the screen that she doesn't like, boy, she lets them have it. Again, that's, that's what we're taught. That's what we have seen so often. But dear ones, and that's what the Pharisees taught, but that's not what Jesus teaches. We have to change our whole way of thinking, if we're going to think and we're going to speak and we're going to act like the Lord Jesus.
how we as parents get a little closer to home, how we as parents all, no doubt in all of our lives as parents, how we justify our vengeful wrath against our children because they disobeyed or rebelled. Now this is again, not, we're not talking about loving, or loving discipline, we're talking about vengeance. We're talking about simply reacting because a child says this, we lash out at the child with a kind of personal vengeance. You're not going to talk to me that way and we, we let them have it right there on the spot. There's a way to deal with all of those acts of disobedience, but, but that's not the right way. We're only teaching our children that it's, it's okay when they disobey or when they say something disrespectful. It's okay for us to simply lash out in a vindictive spirit and heart. And if we examine our hearts, are we really lovingly correcting? Are we lovingly disciplining them? Or are we simply, again, trying to get even with our children for what they have done? This law of just retribution, dear ones, was given by God not to promote personal vengeance in our hearts, in our words, or in our actions, but rather was given to limit lawful retribution within the civil courts that a punishment be appropriate to the crime that has been committed. In other words, there's no death penalty in the scripture, no imprisonment in the scripture, no maiming in the scripture for stealing. Those are not, according to the Bible, those are not lawful punishments for stealing. But rather, the lawful and biblical and just recompense before the courts is restitution. Restitution, that if someone steals, they have to restore, plus added to that what they stole. They have to come up with whatever money. If, it, if it's more than they have, well, they have, to, uh, they have to work extra hard. In the Old Testament, they indentured themselves to become servants until their debt was paid off. But it was not viewed as a just recompense or retribution uh, to maim them, to cut off their hand, as is done in various Islamic countries today, or to cast them into prison, or uh, to put them to death. We'll talk about, again, lawful self-defense and a thief coming during the night hours in, in a few minutes. But we're just talking about ordinary stealing here. And I want to also, before moving on to the second main point, I want to also point out 
that neither the divine institution of the family nor the divine institution of the church is called to administer retributive justice, an eye for an eye or a tooth for a tooth, but are rather called to administer corrective discipline to promote reconciliation and growth in Christ. When elders discipline, elders are not rendering evil for evil. When, elder, when parents discipline, they're not saying, I'm going to get even with you. That's not the purpose of discipline, to get even. The purpose of discipline is to change the behavior. It is to bring reconciliation where there is separation. It is to bring about unity and heart and love for one another. That's the purpose of correction. That's the purpose of discipline. The state is not given that to administer. They're not to administer loving discipline. The state is, to, as an institution of God, is committed by God with the, the sword. That is their means of retribution. It's the sword. A just recompense and retribution. An eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But that's, that's not the standard that we are to use in our family. Although I will say that though we are not rendering some type of a, a retributive justice in our homes or in the church, nevertheless, even in our discipline, we ought to seek to follow that principle in a general way that we don't, for the smallest infraction, give the, the, the most drastic type of discipline. Or for the most drastic type of infraction, we give the least type of discipline. That We try again as parents to judge what is appropriate discipline in this particular case for what the sin that was committed, and likewise within the church. The Lord has given exhortation, suspension from the Lord's Supper, and, and excommunication. And again, all of these means, by way of, uh, even more informally, by way of instruction and teaching, by way of admonition to one another, again, even before one gets to a more, more formal stage, of discipline. You see, God our Father does not punish us, his children. He rather chastens us and disciplines us out of love. Punishment, again, conveys the idea of a retributive justice, getting even, repaying what was done. An eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. That's, that's the idea and, and the meaning that punishment conveys. Whereas, again, chastening and discipline is what God does with us, his children. He's going to punish the wicked. But he chastens and disciplines his own children in Hebrews chapter 12 out of love. 
And so even the words that we use, we ought to be careful with our children. And we're not punishing them, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth, but we are chastening, we are disciplining, we are correcting them because we love them and we want to see that change in their behavior and in their attitudes. So let us consider the second main point. Christ's faithful interpretation of God's law in the matter of vengeance. Verses 39 through 42. But I say unto you that ye resist not evil, but whosoever shall smite thee on the right cheek, turn to him the other also. And if any man will sue thee at the law, And take away thy coat, let him have thy cloak also. And whosoever shall compel thee to go a mile, go with him twain. Give to him that asketh thee, from him that would borrow of thee, turn not thou away. So to counter the false interpretation of the Pharisees, Jesus declares here, but I say unto you. So here is the the faithful, the true interpretation of the matter related to vengeance and retribution. Personal retaliation to one who does you wrong one who abuses you, one who hates you, one who persecutes you. In all that follows here, in these four examples that uh, Jesus gives, in the general statement he gives, resist not evil, and then in the four examples that he gives that follows, Jesus intends to paint here a very stark contrast between the righteousness of God's law on the one hand and the unrighteousness of the Pharisees. And in doing so, he uses very graphic language that almost shakes us to the core of our being as we read these illustrations that the Lord Jesus gives here. We kind of shake our heads and say, is that, is that really what Jesus means here? Is he... Is he uh, mean that, you know, um, that if we get smitten on one cheek, that we're on the right cheek, we're to turn the other cheek. Well, again, I want to, I want to acknowledge that Jesus is not a stranger to hyperbole. Hyperbole is, is a manner of speaking that's recognized in most languages, which is an exaggeration make a point okay to make a point even in this particular chapter Matthew chapter 5 you remember back in verse 29 Jesus said and if thy right hand offend thee pluck it out and cast it from thee for it is profitable for thee that one of thy members should perish and not that thy whole body should be cast into hell verse 30 And if thy right hand offend thee, cut it off and cast it from thee. For it is profitable for thee that one of thy members should perish, 
and not that thy whole body should be cast into hell. Now Jesus was not speaking literally, as we noted at the time that we covered those verses. We noted that it was hyperbole. It was in a form of exaggeration to make a point. That which is dearest to you, your right eye, your right hand, be willing to, uh, if it's going to lead you into sin, be willing uh, to cut it off. Figuratively speaking, be willing to uh, forsake whatever it is that is dear to you in order to follow Jesus Christ. You'll remember very well, no doubt, how the Lord Jesus said in Matthew 19.24, It is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter into the kingdom of God. Hyperbole. And again, uh, Jesus said... Uh, that unless you hate your mother and father, uh, you cannot enter into the kingdom of God. Uh, Again, hyperbole. Jesus was saying, in effect, uh, uh, that if you love your mother and father more than you love me, you cannot enter into the kingdom of God. So, as I said, Jesus is not a foreigner or a stranger to to using hyperbole. And, And I think that we find here as well some hyperbole in the words of Jesus. The general principle that against personal retaliation is first given by the Lord in uh, verse 39. But I say unto you that ye resist not evil. Now, to resist not evil... Uh, we would think in terms of, well, doesn't the Bible say in James 4, 7 that we are to resist Satan? And if we're to resist Satan, are we not to resist all, uh, all evil? Uh, yes, we are. But we're not to use carnal weapons. We're to use spiritual weapons. We're not to resist uh, evil by way of taking up, by way of personal vengeance, a sword, and, uh, and uh, using it in, in some way to attack somebody because they offended us. We're to take, rather, the, the whole armor of God, as we find it in Ephesians chapter 6, verses 10 through 18, which includes the helmet of salvation, the sword of the Spirit, the shield of faith, which is to pray at all times, it says, So we're to use spiritual weapons and armor in warring against evil, against Satan and against evil, not carnal weapons. So what Jesus is talking about here is not that we should not resist um, evil, generally speaking, uh, it's in Evil there is in the masculine, not in the neuter, so it's the evil man. Uh, Resist not the evil man. And resist not the evil man by way of, in the context, by way of personal retaliation, by way of personal vengeance that you take out because someone offends you, you in like manner offend them. 
They smite you, you smite them back. Jesus is saying, that's maybe the, that may be the way of the world, but that's not my way. We can certainly, again, defend ourselves, both verbally and physically, until the threat is subdued, but we cannot go beyond that to pay him back. To the contrary, Jesus teaches we are to do the evil man good. We're to do the evil man good, as we'll see. Not to do the evil man evil, even when we do defend ourselves with our mouths, with our tongues, with our, with our hands. We do not render evil for evil. That's not the reason. Self-defense is not personal retaliation. Self-defense is not getting even with someone. God does not forbid the use of all violent force. A just war, first of all, to defend a nation against attack is a lawful use of violent force. Again, a just war, not just any war, but a just war to defend a nation against attack. As Israel, God's people, and with God's sanction, and God does not change, God is the same yesterday, today, and forever, God sanctioned that Israel wage war against Canaanites who attacked them. As well, violent force may be used in, in, in the way of capital punishment. Against those guilty of crimes, God says, deserve death. Romans 13.4. We read... <clears throat> that the Lord says through Paul that the minister of God, that is the, the civil magistrate, has been given the sword. And the sword was, was the means of execution. In the time of the Roman Empire. And so we see force, lawful force, is used uh, in matters of capital punishment, when it is just, uh, when it is a just punishment to take the life for some crime that has been committed that is worthy of death. And then thirdly, uh, necessary defense of self or others is also a time in which Violent force must be used. And again, uh, in Exodus 22, verses 2 through 3, when the thief comes into the house at night and he is slain uh, because he cannot be seen, cannot know whether he has a weapon, what he is carrying with him, uh, and he is slain, again, that's lawful self-defense. When the thief can be seen... And he can be seen not to have any weapon upon him. And then to take out a gun and to shoot him uh, is again different than if he has something 
upon him if he has a weapon that, that, that is, is seen or if it's at night where it cannot be seen. The law of God makes that distinction. It says in Exodus 22, verses 2 through 3, If a thief be found breaking up, that is stealing, and be smitten that he die, there shall no blood be shed for him. If the sun be risen upon him, there shall be blood shed for him. For he should make full restitution. If he have nothing, then he shall be sold for his theft. So if the sun rises, uh, there will be blood shed for him. Uh, if if, if, if it's, it can be seen that he does not have a weapon upon him, then to use violent force uh, is not self-defense uh, at that point, God says. Our, our faithful forefathers, uh, our covenanted forefathers, took up arms in self-defense when their lives were threatened and they were attacked and when they were uh, uh, taken captive and hostage violently, uh, they as well took up arms and defended themselves uh, in order to have their conventicles and their meetings to preach the gospel, to preach the truth of Jesus Christ. So let's look very briefly at these uh, examples that follow. In verse 39, <clears throat> But whosoever shall smite thee on thy right cheek, turn to him the other also. Again, I, I suggest to you that this is hyperbole. Uh, we're not to invite someone to, in effect, hit us on the other side of our face if they hit us on one side of the face. If they smite us on the right side, we're not to say, Okay, go ahead, hit that side too. That, again, that's, that's not literally what the Lord is saying uh, in, in the words that we find here. In the smiting on the right cheek, and again, the scripture usually speaks in terms of one being right-handed. And so to smite one on the right cheek would be to, with the right hand, someone facing you would be to slap you with the backhand. Uh, and so it, it basically is a slap. It's basically an insult that is brought against you is what is depicted here. And what it is saying, what Jesus is basically saying is when you're insulted, when you're offended and you're insulted, don't insult back. Don't offend back. Don't repay evil for evil. Because someone did this to you, don't do it back to them. Be like Jesus. Jesus did not rise up in rage when he was unjustly smitten on his cheek. He didn't turn the other cheek literally and say, well, you know, hit me on the other side. He endured, however, patiently, he endured even an unjust scourging a crown of thorns that was beaten down into his skull. He endured mocking, laughing, and a cruel crucifixion for his beloved elect. And he's our example. He's our example to follow. We are not to cast away the example of Jesus 
by saying, well, he was suffering in a unique way. He was suffering as our substitute. He was bearing the wrath of God for us. And we don't have to suffer in the same way Jesus did or follow his example. Well, it's true that he was suffering God's wrath. It is true that he was suffering uniquely. It is true that he was suffering as our substitute. But it's also true that we're told to follow his example as well. In 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 21 through 20, I'm sorry, 21 and 23, we read, For even hereunto were ye called, because Christ also suffered for us, leaving us an example that ye should follow his steps, who when he was reviled, reviled not again. When he suffered, he threatened not, but committed himself to him that judgeth righteously. Dear ones, this begins in the home, turning the other cheek. If we cannot turn the other cheek at home, with our spouses, and with our children, and with our parents. We're not going to practice it outside the home. And if we do practice it outside the home, we're hypocrites. We're not being consistent. Are you practicing turning the other cheek? By way of enduring an insult. And again, it does not mean that you cannot say something by way of discussion and talking, but we don't fly off the handle. We don't engage in rage. We don't repay evil for evil. Certainly, we can talk and discuss an insult that is brought against us. But we ought to do so, again, with love, speaking the truth in love. Not repaying insult for insult. You see, this is the way of the cross, isn't it? The way of the cross, the way of Christ, the way of the cross to put death to self, put self to death, and to, and to go and take that cross, carry it, bear it with us, because this is not easy. This is hard for all of us. That's what Christ calls us to do. The next example, verse 40. And if any man will sue thee at the law and take away thy coat, let him have thy cloak also. When you're unjustly sued, again, I, I believe that there is hyperbole involved here as well. When you are unjustly sued, again, Jesus says, if someone would take your, your coat, which is your inner garment, then give them your outer garment, your cloak as well. Again, the Lord Jesus is, I don't believe, saying that when it comes to being sued, that whatever you're sued for, if you're sued for your house, unjustly sued for your house, well, give them your whole family too. You know, uh, just add, you know, to what they've taken. Give them your car as well. I don't think that it's licensing or giving license to people to basically rob and steal. Uh, I don't think that's the point. 
I think that the Lord Jesus is again saying, don't retaliate, personal re vengeance. If you're unjustly sealed, don't, don't uh, uh, exercise some type of uh, hatred uh, against the person who unjustly sues you. Uh, but rather, again, do him good. Personally, do him good. If he's an enemy, feed him. If he's hungry, if he's thirsty, give him something to drink. If he, if he doesn't have shelter, provide shelter. If he doesn't have clothing, clothe him. Do good. That's what the Lord Jesus, I think, is teaching. I think he's saying, will you cling so much to your rights that you have, that you're unwilling to give them away for the sake of the kingdom? Sometimes we cling so tightly to our rights. I have the right to this, I have the right to that, that we're unwilling, that we're unwilling in any instance to give up even those rights. Paul and Barnabas in 1 Corinthians chapter 9 had the right to have others provide for them since they were preachers of the gospel. They had the right, they said, Paul said, to take a wife like the other apostles. But they denied themselves those rights in order to minister to those who were without Christ and those who were in the church of Jesus Christ. They denied themselves certain rights now, Paul wasn't saying that's what everybody should do. He was recognizing in their particular case that that was what they should do. And there may be certain situations that in your life or mine that you would say, if I deny myself a right, I wouldn't do that. Or if I look upon you and you deny yourself a certain right, and I would say, I, I wouldn't do that. And yet... The Lord Jesus here is saying that even if we're sued unjustly, we have the right to, to defend ourselves. But he's basically making it known that we don't necessarily exercise our rights all the time, that we at times allow those things for the sake of Christ's kingdom to go in order to serve and to minister to people. Again, this is the way of the cross. This is the way of death to self. We read in, by the Lord Jesus in verse 41, And whosoever shall compel thee to go a mile, go with him twain. When the Roman soldier that has invaded and occupies the land of Israel compels you, according to Roman law, to carry certain goods a maximum of one mile, which they could compel citizens in, in the Roman Empire and then naturally within Israel. They could compel someone to carry their goods for them one mile. Jesus says carry them two miles. I think, again, <clears throat> we, we have here uh, hyperbole. 
I think that again the the message of the Lord Jesus is rather than boiling within with personal hatred toward the Roman soldier, tell him you will carry those goods for a second mile. It would be better for you to carry those goods a second mile than to boil over with personal vengeance in your heart toward that Roman soldier. He had no right, as far as God's law, he had no right to require the first mile. And he certainly doesn't have a right to a second mile. But freely give it to him. Don't simply bite your tongue, but do him good rather than evil. Again, this is the way of the cross. It's death to self. And then finally, turn not away from the needy in verse 42. Give to him that asketh thee, and from him that would borrow of thee, turn not thou away. And those who are, who are truly poor and needy, seek your help. Don't turn them away, but give and lend to them as you are able, considering that what you have is loaned to you by God. And again, is there some exaggeration? Yeah, I think so. Whatever someone asks uh, of you, I think that's, that's the language that's used in the parallel account, whatever someone asks. Uh, so if they ask, uh, as I said earlier, for your, for your house, give it to them. They ask for your car, they ask for your job, they ask for your, your family. Uh, no, again, uh, I think that Jesus is intentionally drawing such a stark contrast here between not personally avenging yourself and what the Pharisees were doing in avenging themselves, that it, it just kind of hits you like cold water, you know, that, uh, that this is what the Lord Jesus is saying. This is not a blank check upon whatever someone wants that belongs to you just to fulfill their covetousness. They must, I think, according to God's word, be truly needy when they come and ask. They're not just asking to receive, but they must be truly needy. And uh, again, when you lend, you're not trying to make money off of the poor when you lend to them. Jesus says, you know, when a, when a poor brother actually comes or a poor sister comes and, and needs help, uh, don't charge usury. Don't make money off them. Don't charge interest. You simply lend them the money and God will bless you. God will be the one to supply your needs. So this is a real legitimate and immediate need that you can meet from someone who comes to you who is, who is willing to work. Maybe on hard times, is willing to work. In fact, uh, Paul says in 2 Thessalonians 3.10 that if someone's not willing to work, then let them not eat. They're not willing to work. So here's somebody just asking for something from you, but they're really not willing to work. Uh, then we're not helping them. 
So this truly, this, uh, this last example truly tests whether, whether you believe God owns what you have and you are his steward to use it mercifully and wisely within his kingdom or not. Again, this is the way of the cross. And following Jesus and putting ourselves to death. And before, before I close, just a couple objections. This is, uh, I, I knew I would not be able to preach this sermon within an hour. Uh, but there are some objections. And you've probably been going through in your own mind these objections. Uh, as I did when I was preparing for this sermon today, like this. What Jesus teaches seems so weak and effeminate to allow people simply to walk all over us. That's not the American way. It's a sissy or a coward that doesn't stick it to someone that offends us whether with words or with force. Well, I would respond by saying, was Joseph a sissy or a coward when he, re when he repaid his brothers with kindness rather than getting even with them? What about David, mighty David? What about David when he didn't personally avenge himself against King Saul when he had the chance to do so? to slay Saul? Or what about the Lord Jesus himself? Was he a sissy or a coward because he did not strike back with personal revenge when he was attacked? Another objection. That only teaches the wicked that they can continue to trample upon the righteous without any consequences. But that's not fair. The wicked get away with all kind of slander, persecution, and evil treatment. Well, again, no one's saying that there cannot be lawful self-defense. Verbally, to, to defend oneself against slander or, or against wrong, God has set up courts. Not that we can be litigious, but that so we can, again, use courts to resolve matters of, uh, where we have been treated unfairly. But, again, we're not to bring about personal vengeance that, or personal retaliation. That is what the Lord is saying. We're not to repay evil for evil. We're not to render evil for evil. So when we have difficulties with the words of the Lord here, the duty is ours and the consequences or results are God's. We are obligated not to deal and bring forth the right results from the wicked. We're simply obligated to do what God calls us to do, to be faithful to him. And I know this goes contrary to our nature. It goes contrary to my nature. But that's why we need the Lord Jesus to change our natures and to become more like his. We need to pray 
for the bully. We need to pray that the bully is humbled by God and brought to repentance. We need to walk away when we feel like we're tempted to retaliate and to say something or to do something that is simply rendering evil for evil. We need to walk away from that situation. We need to do good rather than evil, even to those who are enemies, God says. And we do, again, have, as I said, according to God's word, we can lawfully defend ourselves, but we're not to retaliate. That's the way of the cross. It's not the way of giving the bully what he deserves, personally. Has Jesus given you what you deserve? Or has he given you what you don't deserve? His mercy. Go, like, go do likewise, Jesus says. So how do you overcome the spirit of personal vengeance? Well, you need to seek God's help. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts. See me, if there be any wicked way in me. Look for that venomous viper of personal vengeance under the rock of pride and self-righteousness and hatred. For where pride and self-righteousness and hatred exist, personal attacks are going to follow. Because when we personally attack someone, it's because our pride has been offended. We are offended, and we therefore respond in like manner. That's the nature of pride within us. We need to put pride to death. We need to pray, God, help me. Expose it for what it is. Confess it to the Lord. Repent of it. And turn to the Lord Jesus Christ. Likewise, resentment and bitterness that builds up within us is that which will issue forth in retaliation and personal vengeance toward others. Replace these, these sinful passions of resentment and bitterness. Replace those with the grace of mercy. That rather than being resentful and bitter, tell yourself, before God, I'm going to show mercy rather than being resentful and bitter. I'm going to forgive by way of allowing love to cover a multitude of sins. Or I'm going to go to the person and we're going to talk through this particular problem. But I'm not going to live in bitterness and resentment because that will inevitably come out in the form of personal retaliation and vengeance against others. These are sins that we need God's forgiveness for. Don't be overcome by evil, but as Paul says, overcome evil with good. Overcome evil with good. Wherever you see that evil, overcome evil, not by repaying evil with evil, wrong with wrong, but overcome evil with good. And look to the suffering of the Lord Jesus Christ. For in the suffering of the Lord Jesus Christ can be seen a Savior 
who did not burn with personal vengeance, but a Savior who burned in redeeming love toward those who put him upon that cross. We who put him upon that cross. Our sin that put him upon that cross. He burned with love, redeeming love for us who deserved his everlasting vengeance in hell. Dear ones, it is the cross of Jesus Christ that breaks the vindictive heart. And it is the death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ that supplies all the grace that you need to remove that vindictive heart. It is dying to self and living to Christ that we need above all else. Please stand with me in prayer. Our Heavenly Father, Thou art good to us at all times. Even when Thou dost chasten us out of love and correction, that we might bear the peaceful fruit of holiness. We pray, our Lord, that Thou would forgive us for our vindictive hearts, for personal retaliation, for seeking to get even, to lash out at those who have lashed out at us. We pray our God, remove from us all forms of, of this sin, grievous sin in thy sight, in light of the mercy and the love that thou hast had for us. And thou dost still have for us when we lash out at thee, lash out at thy providence in our lives and how things have, have come to be, our afflictions, our trials. Thou art ever forgiving and merciful to us, our God. We pray that thou would grant to us that we would be a people uh, who do love justice, who do love righteousness and truth, but also a people who despise personal vengeance and retaliation, which is the way of the world which is all that we see happening around us, which is the breakdown of families and the breakdown of the church and the breakdown of a nation, personal retaliation. It destroys, it does not build up. And we have no right to personal retaliation. Our Lord, our duty, and therefore the right that we have is to show even good to our enemies. To defend ourselves verbally or even with our hands and our feet. But our God as well and especially as thy word has taught us to do good even to our enemies. Our Lord, we pray that thou would hear our prayers Forgive us of our sins and draw us unto thee. In Jesus' name, amen.